Welcome once again to Christ Community Presbyterian Church. Uh, we are taking once again another little break from uh, our regular uh, uh, series in Deuteronomy. And we're going to be looking at uh, the triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ on this uh, day uh, that we celebrate uh, that, that glorious act when the king rode into Jerusalem. Uh, I, I highly encourage you to consider coming out to the Maundy Thursday service. This whole week, this holy week is, is sort of shaped by these great events. Jesus entering into Jerusalem, riding on that donkey and the cries of Hosanna going out. And then meeting with his disciples in that upper room and, and eating that meal with them as he prepares to go to the cross uh, I'd encourage you to come out to that uh, service on Thursday when we celebrate that uh, intimate moment with his disciples. And then, of course, uh, worship with us uh, on Easter, the day of resurrection. Now, every Sunday is Resurrection Day in one sense, but uh, we take this time of year to focus our attention on the glorious, powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to come out for that as well. Uh, but we are, we are going to look at the Gospel of Matthew uh, Matthew chapter 21, 1 to 17, uh, to look at the triumphal entry. So if you would, turn with me uh, in your bulletins or in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 17. Hear God's word. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, To the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. To fulfill this, uh, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, uh, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And I'm going to read just a little more uh, into the gospel. We're going to also look at uh, the next few verses where Jesus goes uh, to the temple. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, you can also turn there uh, to Matthew uh, chapter 21, uh, continuing in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, 
Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing nursing babes you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed for your word, but uh, we thank you for the living word, Jesus, the great king who came. We ask that you would help us to know him and see him more clearly, that we might know uh, the glories and the grace uh, of the great king. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is Jesus? Now, That question, maybe for some of you, is a really basic question. Who is Jesus? Uh, You're here. You came this morning because you, in fact, love Jesus. You know Jesus. You believe in Jesus. Uh, You came here this morning, in fact, to worship Jesus and to hear the wonders of him. Maybe for some of you, that question raises some thoughts. You have a vague understanding Uh, of who he is. You know the gist of the gospel story. You kind of understand the claims uh, that he is both God and man. You you don't totally grasp it. And maybe you've heard that he has died uh, and that he rose again from the dead. Um, You have a general sense, but you came here this morning because you want to understand more of this Jesus. And there might be some here this morning that you were brought here or you came here out of curiosity And you don't know this, Jesus. And you're here because, well, it's where you get to find out who is Jesus. And and I would say, you know, we might say that, well, for that first crowd, you guys can all stop listening to the sermon because you know who Jesus is, right? I don't think that's the case. I think whether you fall on the one end of the spectrum and you are a believer and you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, this question is profoundly significant for you. For your daily life, for your, for your life to come, this, the, for how we live, this, this question is deeply significant. We need to remind ourselves, who is this Jesus? And if you're a seeker, this question is profoundly significant for you. To know the one who is the King and Lord of glory, who came to die. To rise again. And so we're going to be asking this question throughout this most profound, most important question. Who is Jesus? In fact, this was one of the questions in the heart of this text. Uh, you'll notice it. Uh, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. We're kind of jumping ahead of here, but I just want you to see that this question kind of is right at the center of the text. As he comes into Jerusalem. And they're singing Hosanna to the king. People ask the question, who is this? So that's, that's going to be driving us uh, this morning. So who is Jesus? And we'll just run through a bunch of different uh, points. We're not going to have any three-point structure. It's just going to be uh, maybe three or four-point structure. Um, but we're going to just kind of run through who this Jesus is. So first, Jesus is sovereign. What does that mean? Jesus is sovereign. Well, it means Jesus has all power and authority and rule. He is the one who ordains all things. Jesus 
is sovereign. Our text begins with Jesus and his disciples nearing Jerusalem. They were coming to the hills surrounding Jerusalem to Bethpage near the Mount of Olives. Uh, In just a a few short verses, Jesus will give uh, his Olivet Discourse, the the discourse that he has on the Mount of Olives, where he teaches sort of for the last time this great uh, discourse. But they're just approaching. And Jesus sends two of his disciples to go and get a donkey and a colt uh, of the donkey from the town that's just ahead of them. Now, this, on one hand, seems very mundane for us, right? Like, Okay, it's kind of like, you know, go get a mode of transportation. Uh, We need a mode of transportation. Can you go uh, to, uh, you know, the local car rental place and find a car so that we can get to where we're going? I mean, we could read it that way. This was just Jesus kind of saying we need the logistics taken care of. But it's so much greater than that. Notice what's happening happening here. If Jesus had simply tasked them to find any old donkey, this wouldn't have been a remarkable account. But he doesn't do that. He says, no, go and you will immediately find a donkey and its young colt. Not only does he have divine knowledge of these animals, but he also instructs them that if anyone asks you about why you're untying the colt and its, or the donkey and its colt and taking them, If anyone asks you this question, uh, simply say to them, the Lord needs them. And wouldn't that be great? We could go out and there was a bicycle and we're like, ah, I need to get from point A to point B. And we take the bike and the owner says, "Uh, excuse me, well, I need this bicycle. Uh, I'm commandeering it. Um, It wouldn't go well. And you shouldn't do that. We looked at stealing. That was that last week um, uh, in the the Ten Commandments. So uh, not a good idea. But here, the Lord, the one who has all authority, says, this is mine. And not only does he ordain that donkey and its cult to be there, but he, in in a sense... uh, is ordaining this man who owns this animal or the local who notices the taking of this animal to freely give it for the Lord's use. Jesus, in his sovereign power, ordains the procurement of these donkeys to have them ready and have authority over the will of its owners. But the real magnificence of the sovereign power of Christ in this setting on this seemingly minor event, is in its purpose. Jesus was to ride this donkey and colt, and uh, it seems clear from the other uh, uh, accounts that he rides on the colt. I guess the donkey was going along with the colt, but he rides on this young uh, colt. But he was doing this to fulfill the word of the prophets of old. He was working all things together to show that he indeed was the sovereign king that was promised. The Messiah who was, who was promised would come. Jesus was working all these things together. This is a wonder. Who is the Lord? Who is this one who rules over the affairs of men? Who works all things together for his purposes? And this was just the beginning of the march to the cross. 
Later in Matthew, we read that the religious authorities plotted against Jesus. And that was true. They, they plotted against Jesus. They arrested Jesus. They put Jesus to the death. Put Jesus to death on the cross. But the sovereign king was ordaining all of it from the start. It was his purpose. It was his time. That cult was to be there when he designed it. He was to go into Jerusalem at this point on this high holiday. And he was to go to his death in just a few short days according to the will of God and the purposes of Christ. God, the sovereign king. He was coming to Jerusalem on his terms and according to his plans. I often think we give ourselves a lot of credit for our lives, <laughs> for the way things turn out, uh, the way things go. We, we kind of think it's, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, so to speak. And even if, even if we don't think that way, even if we don't actively give ourselves credit, we often act as if we have control. Well, if I just do this, and if I just tweak this, and if I just save this, or act like this, or I say this, I can sort of bend all things to the purposes of my will. How's it go? How does that go? I think it was uh, Robert Burns who said the best in his Irish, I guess. It wasn't, this is a translation, but the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, don't they? Not so for our Lord. Who is Jesus? He is the sovereign king. But there's a second thing about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is a humble, peacemaking king. Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah would come, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. Not a colt, the foal of a beast, a burden. It's a picture of a king. Wait, but not really. Because when we think of kings, we often think in terms of the knights of the round table and King Arthur and all of that. And kings don't ride donkeys. <laughs> At least in our own sort of mythos, they don't ride donkeys. What do they ride? They ride horses, war horses. They're mighty, they're powerful. And when we think of a donkey, we think often in terms of something, maybe not weak, but certainly not glorious, right? Kind of crass a donkey is. But this wasn't, I don't think, the case. If you go to the Old Testament, donkeys were regularly ridden by all sorts of folks, kings included. And while a horse was certainly the, the, the mode of transportation or for the, the tool for battle, the battle horse, uh, the donkey would have been a fitting steed, so to speak, for the king who has established peace. Ride into his, his kingdom without fear of his enemies. Think of Solomon and all his splendor. He, he would ride in a, on a donkey. But why? Because he had established peace. kind of a funny picture, but I think that's the picture that's being painted. He certainly is not uh, 
the, the question of humility often comes up. Isn't, isn't the donkey a picture of humility? I, I, I think the king comes humbly on a donkey. But I think the donkey, more than a symbol of humility, was a symbol of peace. So what, what does this say about our Lord? Jesus, the sovereign king, was coming into Jerusalem to usher in peace. The people of Jerusalem would not have missed the symbol, though they would have been confused. Uh, If he was the long-expected Messiah, the greater David, so to speak, the one who was supposed to come and to conquer Rome, to to rid uh, them of the oppressive regime of the Roman Empire and to establish uh, Israel once again in the land, that they would finally have uh, peace through this warrior king, David. That's what they expected. Nevertheless, as Jesus rides in on the donkey, some cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Here he is. The king has come. But others said, who is this? Who is this? He doesn't look like the warrior king. But Jesus was coming to establish peace. Peace between man and God. He came not in power, but he came in humility. He came not to wield the sword. Instead, he came to die that we might be reconciled to God, that we might have peace, ultimate, lasting peace with God. I think we like the idea of Jesus as the great warrior king, the one who'll right all of the offenses that have ever been done to us, and, and don't get me wrong, there's a day coming. If you go to the book of Revelation, you'll see a picture of a warrior king. He comes on a horse and he conquers and vanquishes all our, all our enemies and all his once and for all. But when Jesus came into Jerusalem that day, he came humbly to make peace. See, the truth is, if Jesus came that day into Jerusalem riding a war horse, it would have had a disastrous effect for everyone. Because it would have meant him establishing and conquering and securing his kingdom. But it would not include us. It wouldn't have included us. He had to first secure peace. You see, the problem is not fundamentally all those who wrong us. Those are problems. Our fundamental problem is that we are enemies of God. We are the ones who are at enmity with God, at war with God. And and apart from him coming as a humble king to make peace through the cross, there would be no hope for us. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the humble, peacemaking king who rode into Jerusalem to secure and establish a lasting, everlasting peace between us and God. Who is Jesus? Thirdly, Jesus is the Savior King. The crowds laid down their cloaks and cut branches and laid them on the ground as Jesus came into Jerusalem. 
And all the people were crying, or not all the people, some of the people were crying, Hosanna to the son of David. What does Hosanna mean? Uh, We sing it, you know, on a day like today, on Palm Sunday, we sing Hosanna. Uh, It means save. Save us, we pray. So as, as this humble, peacemaking king was coming forth on the donkey, they were saying, save us, Messiah. We pray, save us. Greater David, come and save It was a cry of the people as they hoped that this one might be the Messiah. Again, I think for the people there was confusion on this point. Here he was coming into Jerusalem, not riding the war horse, but riding the donkey. And he wasn't simply the carpenter's son from Nazareth. They they noted that that when, when the question was asked, who is this? Well, he's the prophet from, from Nazareth, okay? Yeah, so he's, he's, he's this man who's a prophet, a son of the carpenter from Nazareth. Uh, he's done miraculous works. We've seen wonders that he's done, but we don't get it. We, do, we don't understand what's going on. And maybe, maybe this is the way we are with Jesus as well. We kind of get who he is. We hope... We'll take care of our problems in life and make sense of the mess that we find ourselves in. We see quite a few of his qualities, but we don't always get him. And yet, we come here on a day like today, we, we're, we're wrestling with the, 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 the struggle. What, what does it mean that Jesus is this king? I, I don't know. I don't understand. I know that he can help me. So what do we do? I think we do what's right. We cry out, save us. Save us. Even in our confusion and in our lack of understanding sometimes, we cry out, save us, we pray. Though not recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, but in Luke's account, Jesus says he is entering the city. And as they cried out, Hosanna to him, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Jesus cries. And he says this, would that you, Jerusalem, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus wept because they didn't get who he was. He knew what he was about. He understood he was the sovereign king who was ordaining all these things to come about. And he was going to the cross with a clear vision. This is what I'm called to. But everybody around him was confused. His disciples included. And Jesus weeps. Only if you could see my heart, my purpose for this. You see, the people of Jerusalem needed a savior. And yet just a few short days later, this crowd who was crying Hosanna would change their cry, wouldn't they? The crowds would come together and instead of crying, Hosanna, the king has come, they would cry out, crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus wept over the city because they, that is Jerusalem, couldn't grasp who he is. Friends, we have an advantage over the people in Jerusalem, don't we? For while things were hidden from their sight, so that his work could be accomplished. We live in the place where we can look back and say, oh, this is why Jesus came. 
We can see it all unfolded before us. He came that he might die, that he might shed his blood for us, that we might have life. That was his purpose. We have an advantage. The full revelation of who Jesus is. And he is the Savior King. He rode into Jerusalem to make peace through the cross. And though they cried, crucify him, he would cry from the cross, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who is Jesus? He's the king who is sovereign, who reigns, who ordains all things that come to pass. He is the humble, peacemaking king who rode in on a donkey to make peace between us and God. And he is our savior king who goes to the cross to die for people who don't know who he is, who don't understand him, who are his enemies. And he dies for them that he might forgive them their sins. He is a saving king. Finally, who is Jesus? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is the all-encompassing confession. This is one of, some argue, the earliest confession of the church. Jesus is Lord. Jesus, after entering Jerusalem, came to the temple. He came to the place where God meets with his people. And no doubt it was a busy place. The Feast of Passover was at hand. And sacrifices had to be made. And I don't know if you'll remember this when we went over this in Deuteronomy. But uh, the Passover was an intense holiday. The amount of sacrifices that had to happen was intense. People from all over the world, Jewish people, would gather together for this holiday, sacrificing animals. It was intense. But it was also an opportunity for making money particularly for taking advantage of the poor and those who had traveled long distances who couldn't bring their own animals or didn't have their own animals but had to purchase them on the spot, right? So they had money changers who had a table and when somebody from far reaches of the the Roman Empire, a Jewish person came to sacrifice, they wouldn't travel with with their sheep but they would purchase it or whatever animal they could afford, they would purchase it there on the spot and they would make monetary changes exchanges uh, for uh, whatever uh, type of money they were using. It was an opportunity. Now, anybody who has ever been to a sporting event, professional, or has been to an amusement park or some other captive place, when you get there and you need something, you know you're going to be fleeced. Highway robbery. We use all sorts of different languages for it, right? You're going to pay an exorbitant amount of money for that drink. It's going to cost you five bucks, what would normally cost maybe about 50 in the, in the local store. Well, Jesus came into his house, the house that was meant to be a place of prayer, of holiness, of communion with God, only to find it a den of robbers, people who were fleecing, taking advantage of people. Now, even if someone had a complaint against the money changers, 
and those selling the sacrificial animals, there was no doubt a chain of uh, temple authority. If Jesus saw something going on with the money exchangers, he probably could have gone to the priests and the chief priests and eventually kind of try to work things out. Unfortunately, there seems to be uh, probably a complicitness in this. But Jesus doesn't follow a chain of authority. Jesus, because he is the king, the lord of that house, the sovereign who rules over all and has authority over all, Jesus overturns the tables and chases out the people selling those animals. Jesus was indignant. And he exercised his authority. And when the children observed the wonders, and that's what they're called, even, even the, 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 that's what it says the, the chief priest said, it was wonders. I mean, who comes into the temple and acts with such authority? When he saw these wonders, the children cried out again. They said, oh, this is, I know who this is. This is the Messiah. Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the son of David. these children in their innocent way were recognizing Jesus for who he was. Now, not so the priests. I'm sure they were incensed by the disruption of commerce. But actually, that wasn't their biggest concern. They were more incensed that these children would call this rabble-rouser the Lord, the King, the sovereign. Jesus shuts the mouths of these priests by quoting from Psalm 8 Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. If you were to go back to that psalm, Psalm 8, it, it's a messianic psalm. And, and, and in that psalm, there's this. This sense in which God is ordaining all sorts of praise from his creation. And one of the places he ordains praise is from little, little children who sing the praises of God. And the power of those little children in singing praises isn't just that they glorify God, but they shut the mouths of their enemies, of God's enemies. Isn't it sometimes we say children speak truth better than they know sometimes? It's kind of what's going on. They understand in their, in their young way that this indeed is the Lord of hosts. Who is Jesus? Jesus alone is Lord. He alone is the one who has all authority. Who is Jesus? He is the one who is able to cleanse the temple. And what does this have to do with you and I? What is it? What? What significance does this bear on our life? What does it mean for you and me? Well, we've seen that the king, that this king, Jesus, ordains all things. That he was a humble, peacemaking king. That he was a savior king. And then finally, we're seeing that he is the one who rules over our lives. He is Lord. Yes, he came According to plan, he came to make peace. He came to save us from our sins. But he came to rule over us. To rule over our hearts. And I think that this is the hardest thing about Jesus. Because I, 
actually think we all want salvation. I think that's an easy sell, right? I know I'm a broken sinner, that Jesus would save me. That's comforting. But we don't want his rule, do we? Because that, that's an all-encompassing thing. Yes, we want to know that he loves me and that he forgives me, but we don't want him to tell us how we are to live, to disrupt our lives, to change us from our comfortable ways, to challenge us in our sin, to say, this thing is wrong. In other words, we want a little bit of religion, but we don't want the Lord of glory challenging our idols and our loves. That Jesus would claim the authority of God himself is what drove the religious authorities crazy. And it's why they plotted against him. It's why they crucified him. But in the greatest irony of all, it was the great rebellion of man against the Lord of glory. That Christ, the sovereign, humble king, the one who made peace between us and God and saved us from our sin. But it was in that act of their rebellion that he actually established his lordship and authority over our hearts, that he made us a way that he could once again say, I am going to graciously rule your hearts and your lives, and I'm going to work on establishing my kingdom in you. I'm going to clean out, so, so to speak, by my spirit, all the rebellion that remains. And I'm going to rule over you with grace. Mercy. It's what he did on the cross. Who is Jesus? Jesus is Lord. And there's really only two responses. We can trust the humble, peacemaking king, or we can continue in rebellion. We can reject it. There's no middle ground. There was a young man... Uh, who I met with for a baptism a couple years ago. He was uh, at City. And I have friends from my former church here this morning. Um, and at this church, I, I was meeting with a young man. Uh, he was preparing for baptism and considering uh, whether to publicly profess faith in Jesus or not. And he was, uh, of, he was from an Indian American family, and his family was nominally Hindu. Um, and his parents weren't keen on him being Christian, but they were okay with him kind of being open to religious ideas. Right? They, were, they were kind of generous in that sense. But uh, as soon as the topic of baptism came up, it caused a problem. It was a bridge too far, especially for uh, this young man's mother. She did everything in her power to prevent him from being baptized. Because she understood, in a way that I don't know that we often consider as Christians, uh, the significance of that symbol of saying, I belong to Jesus, and he is Lord. And she kind of, even in her sort of pagan way, sort of understood that that symbol had to do with that. Whether she understood all the conceptual stuff behind it, she didn't. But she understood that it it was a change of allegiance. It was a commitment that broke the bonds of the commitments that he already had. And this young man was a a, a very dutiful son. He was the only son. 
and he loved his parents deeply. And he wanted to honor and obey him, obey them, and yet he loved the Lord Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus. And so he was at a crossroads, a binary decision. Is Jesus Lord? And that, that's the question that we all wrestle with. Is Jesus Lord? Is he king? And if he's king, what does that mean? Am I going to follow him or am I going to follow my parents? Or if he's not, that's sort of the ultimate question for all of us. And really it comes down to this. Am I willing to lose my life for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing to let go of all my loves and all those things that rule over my heart and say, Lord, you rule, you change, you transform me. You make me more and more like you. Or am I going to continue to hold on to my life and in the end lose it all? That was the crossroads he was at. And in the end, praise the Lord, he was baptized. To his parents' dismay and disapproval, they did not come. He continued to be a faithful son. But his allegiance was to Jesus. He confessed that Jesus is Lord. He is the King. There is no other who can reconcile us to God, who can save us from our sins, who has the power and authority and grace and mercy to transform us, to change us. There is only Jesus. As you wrestle in your own heart this morning, is Jesus Lord? My hope is that you would bow down and worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as Lord of heaven and earth, you humbly came to die that you might forgive us for our rebelliousness and sin. Thank you that you came as the sovereign one who ordains all things that come to pass. But you came to reconcile us with God. Lord, even as we wrestle with you as king and you as what it means to be Lord, I pray that you would help us to bow down and to worship you and allow you to do that sometimes painful work of rooting out the pockets of resistance in our hearts. Forgive us for that. Do the mighty work of your spirit in us, that your power, your sovereign work in us, transform us and conform us into Christ and to his likeness. Do this, Lord, we ask. Where else can we go? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.